All right. We have been talking about this series for a while. It's finally here. It's time. I pray that you have found some blessings through our Jesus is the Cure devotionals that we have been putting out every Monday on our YouTube channel. And so over the next number of weeks, we're also going to spend some time on Sabbaths looking at this same theme. And throughout this sermon series, we will look at a number of the ailments and infections that are associated with sin. We'll look at hate, fear, hopelessness, false views concerning God's character, feelings of being unloved, and a list of numerous isms. That's the reality of living in a sinful world. That's the bad news. But fear not, dear friends, because there's good news as well. And the good news is this. We will look at all these ailments and infections caused by sin, but our main focus will be on the truth that Jesus is the cure. Our sermon today is entitled, Where is the Love? Where is the Love? You know, love is something that we humans can't do without. We can't do without it. And because of that, since our early beginnings, it has been the focus of our songs, of our stories, of our art, and of our conversations. Yet even after thousands of years focusing on this topic, there is still much confusion. Not only confusion about what love is, but also about what love isn't. Have you ever thought about what the opposite of love is? What the opposite of love is? You know, if you ask this question to five different people, I'd imagine that you would probably get five different answers in response. Is it hate? Is it abuse? Is it murder? I think we can all agree that none of those things equate to love. But are they love's opposite? Love is a relationship. It's about relationship. And if you love someone, you are willing to spend time with them, to put focus on them, and to listen to them. You could say that love leads you to care about someone. And whenever I reflect on this, I end up coming to, to this conclusion. The opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is indifference. Child psychologists will be the first to tell you that oftentimes those children that get labeled as bad apples are simply acting out from a lack of love. Maybe they are met with indifference at home. So they act out to get attention. And I think that if we could all choose, 
we would all choose to receive the good kind of attention. But the bad kind of attention doesn't seem half bad when the only other option is indifference or neglect. Being ignored is not fun. Being ignored does not feel good. Now, I'm no expert in psychology. They probably wouldn't claim to be experts, but when it comes to this field, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to the likes of, of Chris Bryan and Teresa Reeves. But that said, I do enjoy reading books and studies concerning the field of psychology. I found something interesting. A couple things interesting. Victor Weiss, who was the 2018 president of the Academy on Violence and Abuse and the founder of the National Child Protection Training Center, equates indifference toward a child as neglect and abuse. Indifference is akin to neglect and abuse. In the United States in 1944, a now infamous experiment was conducted on 40 newborn infants to determine whether individuals could thrive alone on basic physiological needs without affection. 20 newborn infants were housed in a special facility where they had caregivers who would go in to feed them, bathe them, and change their diapers, but they would do nothing else. The caregivers had been instructed not to look at or touch the babies more than what was necessary and to never communicate with them. All their physical needs were attended to scrupulously and the environment was kept clean, kept sterile, and none of the babies became ill. The experiment, though, was halted after four months, by which time at least half of the babies had died. At least two more died even after being rescued and brought into a more natural, familial environment. There was no physiological cause for the baby's deaths. They were all physically very healthy. Before each baby died, there was a period they, where they would stop verbalizing and trying to engage with their caregivers. At that point, the babies generally didn't move or cry or even change expression. They'd simply given up. The babies who had given up before being rescued died in the same manner, even though they had been removed from the experimental conditions. It's a sad story. And what is the conclusion? The conclusion is that indifference and neglect a lack of love literally kills us. We can't do without love. So if indifference is the disease and Jesus is the cure, wouldn't the life and teachings of Jesus be a great place to begin our quest to try to understand love? I think the answer is yes. We've seen through science, through psychology, how important love is to humanity. We've probably experienced it ourselves, but how important was love to Jesus? 
Looking through the Gospels, what did Jesus have to say about love? Matthew 22, 37 through 39, it says this. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus condensed the entirety of the law into these two great commandments, both of which are centered in, built upon love. Then in John 15, he said this, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. In these three verses, the word love appears one, two, three, four, five times. Five times. Without that word, if you take that word from these verses, we are left with nothing but rules and regulations. And I've often found in this life that many of the legalists within Christianity are completely devoid of love. And whether consciously or not, they know that something big is missing in their lives. They try to replace it with rules and regulations. But there is no replacement for true love. It can't be faked. It can't be replaced. If our concept of Christianity is lacking love, then we will never experience the full joy that Jesus is talking about here, that Jesus wants us to experience. Jesus continues, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. Wow, did you catch that? Jesus loves you so much that even in your sinfulness, even in your doubt, even in your hatred, yes, even in your rebellion, Jesus has chosen you, loves you. And not only that, but he has appointed you he has appointed all of us to be his messengers and to take this good news that we are loved, that we are chosen, and to share it with the entire world. These things I command you that you love one another. Once again, his, his commandment is wrapped up in one thing. It's wrapped up in love. Without it, we will have no joy, we will bear no fruit, and eventually we will wither and die. 
Will you accept Jesus' free gift of love? Will you make it your focus, your aim, your song? Will you cover everything you think, say, and do with love? Two chapters earlier, Jesus said something similar. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. There's that word again, right? One, two, three times in one verse. Love, love, love. This is a commandment straight from the mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He loves us, and he's called us to love each other. Now, I want to go back to a statement that we read in verse 15. We sort of breezed past it, but I, I think it's important if we want to understand the true depths of love. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his or her friend. Those are some bold words, Jesus. That's some big talk. But how do we as Christians know that Jesus was willing to follow love to its greatest depths? Look no further than the cross of Calvary. Look no further than the cross. You can see it behind me, right? It's the central focus in this room, the central focus of this church. Get on the interstate, and you see a big cross right behind us as well. If it's not our central focus as Christians, we're, we're missing the point. God became man. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. If I was in his position, I wouldn't choose to do that. But God did. He became man and gave up his life for you and for me, all because of love. His love for you and for me is the greatest example we have of what love really looks like. A lot of confusion in the world about what love is. Here's the perfect Example of love. God become man dying on the cross with you in mind. With you in his heart. And when it came to those who acted as his enemies, his love continued to know no bounds. It was extended to them. We read in Luke 23, 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they, those he was talking about, divided his garments and cast lots. These were the men who mocked him, spit on him, beat him, ripped out his beard, pierced his scalp, with a crown of thorns and eventually nailed him to a cross. They laughed, they scoffed, 
They gambled over his clothes. He watched it all happen. He experienced it on an intimate level. Yet he responded with love. Love. Not violence, not hatred, not even righteous indignation, not indifference. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the cure. Now, we've seen that Jesus was all about love, but how do we know that Jesus wasn't indifferent? I think that when we look at our own lives, we can see oftentimes the the dichotomy there. We can have a moment where we're very happy and the next moment we're very sad. We can treat one person with love and then flip and treat somebody else with difference. How do we know that Jesus wasn't indifferent? That's a sermon in and of itself. And I could preach it for days upon days. But just to, to share the tip of the iceberg, when we look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus stood up for the woman caught in adultery. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He saved a wedding couple from embarrassment in Cana. He listened and shared with the woman at the well. And on multiple occasions, he called the children to him. He met Nicodemus at night. He had lunch in Zacchaeus' house. He touched the unclean. He hung out with the ostracized, and he fed the hungry multitudes. He healed the sick, gave movement to the paralyzed, and set the shackled free. He wept for humanity. Once again, multiple occasions. And there is no such thing as tears of indifference. Those were tears of love. Jesus was many things, but he was never indifferent. And if there was one thing that I wish the world knew about my Jesus, it's I wish that they knew about his love. What makes me sad is that even some Christians are woefully ignorant when it comes to the topic of Jesus' love. We can all learn more, and it's my belief that we will continue to dive into the depths of understanding of God's love for us throughout ceaseless eternities. But these following Christians, they get it. Let me share a few quotes. The first one from Brennan Manning. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. C.S. Lewis wrote, the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. Rachel Held Evans wrote this, What I love about the ministry of Jesus is that he identified the poor as blessed and the rich as needy. And then he went and ministered to them both. This, I think, is the difference between charity, love, and justice. Justice means moving beyond the dichotomy between those who need and those who supply and confronting the frightening and beautiful reality that we desperately need one another. 
I think she's simply asking the question, where is the love? Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. That's legalism, dear friends. And legalism doesn't exist in love. Finally, Ellen White wrote this. It is not earthly rank, nor birth, nor nationality, nor religious privilege which proves that we are members of the family of God. It is love. A love that embraces all humanity. Wow. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God. And the Bible tells us that God is love. God isn't just loving. He is the full embodiment of what love is, what it looks like, how it's acted upon. So dear friends, here's your homework for the week. I know, I know those of you that are in school are probably cringing at the word homework. <laughs> you were thinking it, right? It's okay. It's okay to think it. This homework will be a little different from numbers and words jotted down on paper. First, the next time someone comes to you with their problems, take time to listen. Take time to listen. Let them know that you are not indifferent to their needs and struggles. Because when we go to God, our needs and our struggles. He is not indifferent. Second, I want you to reach out to one Christian friend and tell them that you love them. Third, I want you to reach out to one non-Christian friend. You have some of those, right? Right? Mercy, I hope so. Reach out to one of your non-Christian friends and let them know that you love them. Easy enough, isn't it? Now, now for the hard part. The fourth and final thing. Finally, I want you to think of one person that you view as an enemy. Think of one person that you view as an enemy. One person who has maybe hurt you or wronged you in some way. And maybe they're unapologetic about it. Have you got that person in mind? It's okay if you need to think about it some more and reflect. I realize that forgiveness is often a process. It's complicated. It isn't easy. But what I'm asking from you is to simply go to God with the hurt, the pain, and the unforgiveness in your heart. Be honest about it. Put it all out there in prayer and then pray these words. 
Lord, will you start me down the path of forgiveness? I've read what Jesus did on the cross. I've read how he responded to those who wronged, hurt, and eventually killed him. He is my example. I want to experience that type of love and forgiveness. Start me on that journey, dear Lord. Amen.